Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And this week we are bringing you our kid killer cases. Cases where kids kill. Going to have a little bit of a different vibe than usual. Um, Usually here on Crime Curious, when you murder someone, we go full throttle at you. Gloves are off. Mm -hmm. We won't do that for child killers. There's there's some reasons behind their underdeveloped sense of the world. So There's a lot of child killers, though. When I was trying to find my case... I I found more than I wanted to. Right. It is terrible. And the case that I'm bringing you guys today actually comes from the UK. It's pretty well known over there. Uh, They're called the Twilight Killers. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into why that is. But it might pique somebody realizing, oh, okay, I know this one. Before we get started, though, can we please just shout out our sweet listener, Samantha, who gave us our first tweet. I'm so excited. I was so excited about that. So was I, mostly because I don't use Twitter personally. I don't either. I'm so bad at it. I was just so excited to have our first tweet, and I tweeted back at her. I don't even know if I'm using the language correctly, but... Thank you. She gave us a case suggestion and said that I could use her name. Wonderful. We will, and we will be covering that case too, probably on like controversial week. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty controversial one, but I think it'll be a great one to cover. So we will do that. But thank you, Samantha. Thank you, Samantha. And you guys, we do read everything that you post on social media. Interact with us. We love it. It helps get our name out there. Mm-hmm. When you share our episodes or um, our Facebook page, that helps us so much, and we appreciate it so much. So feel free to do that. Feel free to leave us a review. That also helps us a lot. So just yes. thank you guys for listening. So if you have made it this far with us in our sketchy audio quality, It was thank a little you. sketch for a while, but that's thank okay. You. We were learning, but now we know. Now we're better. We're official. We're official. And so and that is because we have such a great listener base. So, so thank you for hanging in there this long. Our audio should be perfect from here on out. All right, let's get down to this. All right, let's let's hear it. I'm going to talk about Elizabeth Edwards. She went by Liz. She was a divorced mother of three. She had three girls named Mary, Kim, and Katie. Mary was about 12 years older than Kim, who at the time of this crime, Kim was 14 and Katie was 13. And just for the sake of following along with the story, Kim is one of our perpetrators. Okay. And her mother, Liz, and her sister, Katie, are the victims. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. just family right, incident yeah. here. Okay. Right off the off the bat. I just want to help get it you out keep there. some perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kim and Katie's father is Peter Edwards, but the couple was divorced. I do not know if Peter is Mary's father or not. I couldn't find a whole lot of information okay. about them. And I do not fill in like some false other, information. Yeah, some other podcasts we've listened to. We don't I I don't fill in false information, so I'm not sure. I don't purposely fill in false information, shall I say. The family lived in Spalding, uh, Lincolnshire in Britain. It's a small town and this family very well liked in Spalding. Kim and Katie were only a year apart 
So there were some noticeable differences in the girls' personalities. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find information that explicitly said that Katie and Kim didn't get along. By all accounts, had very normal one-year-apart type relationships. Two of my boys are a year apart, and, you know, they have their good times and their bad times. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just how it goes. But but Katie was very bubbly. She was very popular, she was in eighth grade at this time. Kim was a freshman. Everyone knew Katie, and she was extremely nice and likable. Kim was very artsy and was not as outgoing and bubbly and certainly not as popular as Katie. And that's not to say why she ends up doing what she does, but it's just some noticeable differences between the girls. Kim seemed to suffer just a little bit more from some of the things the family goes through that I'm about to tell you about. Mm -hmm. Their mother, Elizabeth, or like I said, Liz, was in a relationship with a a man named Graham Green, and she was the school lunch lady. Oh, nice. Graham doesn't have a lot to do with this story. I just wanted to kind of paint a picture for where the family was at dynamically. Gotcha. She volunteered at a local charity. She was really involved with the school and community. She sounds like a nice stand-up woman. Yep. There were some struggles very early on in life for the girls. Kim would often describe her little sister, Katie, as an angel and her as a wreck. Mm. So Kim's internal belief about herself was that she was a wreck and that Katie is perfect. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I was kind of wondering if there was going to be that dynamic with with her sister being popular. popular. Yeah. There was. And very early on, when Kim was five, there was some sort of argument with her mother. I couldn't find a lot of detail with this situation, but they were in a bad argument. And somehow Kim ended up punched in the face. Oh. And the kids actually ended up getting removed. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So they were taken into foster care, which Kim has, has said that she always felt very isolated in the family, like basically the black sheep. Mm-hmm. And then getting removed because she got punched in the face did not help the, the situation at all. If anything, this is kind of where it started. Yeah. And then when they got taken into care, obviously that, as we know, has a profound effect on the children. But then also when they were returned, she felt even more like an outsider. Like it was her fault that they got removed to begin with. And then here they get returned and, you know, Katie is being perfect in her eyes and mm-hmm. she's she's the black sheep. There is a certain documentary, there's a couple of them actually, that kind of outraged the family once they were released. So I purposely didn't watch them because I read enough news articles to know that the family did not agree with what was in the documentary especially regarding the the reasons for the children's removal from Liz and how Liz behaved after they were removed. Apparently, a doc, one of the documentaries um, made it sound like Liz stopped seeing her children and the older sister Mary is like, none of that is true. Oh, wow. They did not interview any of the family members to do that documentary. Yeah, I would of think there events. would be some bias in there yeah. without getting and, those and pers- a, perspectives. Yes, and apparently they painted her in a really horrible light and the daughter's like, this is just not true. This was just not why this happened. So mm-hmm. uh, so I purposely did not watch those documentaries and get more information regarding why they were removed because I don't feel like that was credible information to begin with. So we just know as working in the family court systems the way that you and I have, there were situations that they felt that children needed to be removed, but then they were reunified, which obviously you and I know if they're reunified, then that means mom did what she needed to do yes. to correct the problem. Yep. So I would agree 
with the older sister that's like, yeah, she didn't abandon mm-hmm. them. If she was able to get them back, yep. then, then she, she was didn't compliant. abandon them. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't blame you for not watching those. Yeah, I, I just felt like it wasn't wasn't necessary. Kim wrote in her diary very detailed about how she felt that she didn't fit into the family and the way that she felt that her mother loved Katie more. She was even quoted saying, ever since I was young, I never got on with my mom. I knew that she favored my sister more than me, and even though she said that she didn't, I knew she was lying. So these are Kim's own words. Uh This is her perception of and her worldview of the family dynamics. Even if they weren't reality, this is really, this was Kim's reality. That's how she Mm -hmm. saw the situation. Yep. As a mom of four boys, they joke with me all the time about one being the favorite favorite. and one not, and and, and I know in my heart, absolutely, I love them all equally. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a mom, you get it. Like, you can't just separate one from the other. They're all your babies. Yeah. And, but-, but to that individual child, I mean, I have older siblings. So mm-hmm. I, I totally get the perception of, you know, oh, I think mom really likes her better than me. Because mm-hmm. every child has a different personality. Yeah. So you kind of interact with each child differently. Mm-hmm. And so... To one, it might look like, oh, well, you know, she doesn't do that with me. Right. Oh, she must love them he, more. Yeah, yeah, he is the favorite. I remember having those days. Yeah. And kids kids are really great at, like, looking at what a parent is doing for another child and forgetting all the wonderful things that they do have done yes. for you as well. Yes. <laughs> it's just that egocentric point of view that we all are in, especially in the teenage years. We're very egocentric. As, as teenagers, that's just where our brain development is at the time. And so everything is all about you. Everything is, is taken personally. So it's just, it's a rough time. At this time, Kim attended Sir John Glebe High School, where she met a boy named Lucas Markham. Their relationship was basically described like two magnets with an intense pull towards one another. Oh, wow. So this was in May 2015 that they began dating. And... Kim would later say that she watched Lucas throw a chair across her room, and that's when she first, like, noticed him and was like, oh. Oh, my. So she saw this violent act and was like, I yeah. knew he was the one. Yeah. Ex- wow. That's exactly it. And I know I've brought up the Grinch before, but all I can think of is the scene where he's throwing the Christmas tree across the classroom as a child, and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, you know, the the anger, the uh-huh. horror. And then there is <laughs> Betty Lou that's like, the muscles. <laughs> I just feel like that's what this must have been like, where she was like, everyone's like, oh, look at this, the rage, the look at this child. And she's like, my man's the muscles, yes. look at that. Just, yes. It really caught her attention. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just, yeah, yeah, that's where. Okay. So that's, that's how love blossomed. Yes. That's when she first noticed him. Okay. Now, Kim's best friend did an interview. Her name wasn't used. She was underage. But she talked about what kind of person Kim was before meeting Lucas. She said that they would go shopping. They would laugh. They would joke. They would eat Oreos. She said that Kim was funny and a really sweet person. There was an article in The Sun that they did. They're the ones that did the interview with her. And she, she was quoted saying, she loved Oreo cookies and wore stick-on nails so so that she would appear more grown up, which... I mean, I get yeah, it. I, I me love too. me some Oreos, too. Me, too. We used to spend our Saturday afternoons shopping in New Look, 
just a store, I guess, mm-hmm. and trying out the makeup t- uh, testers in Superdrug. Love it. She, she loved pop music, and her favorite song was Waterfalls by TLC. Oh, yeah. a good choice. For sure. And I love the video. I mean, this is 2015. Yeah, this so is not long ago. It's it's not. So the fact that she's like kind of throwback hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. Waterfall, you know. That was like back in our young yeah, days. Yeah, it was. She went on to say, but all that changed when Lucas Markham became her first boyfriend. She no longer wanted to go on shopping trips. She was quoted saying, I didn't used to talk to him, but he used to send horrible messages to other people that she was friends with. Oh, boy. He was controlling, and towards the end, she was very distant and not the person I first made friends with at all. That's really, really unfortunate. Yes. So now I'm going to take you on a little journey about Lucas Markham in his childhood. Okay. There were, right off the beginning, like as a young age, there were domestic violence issues with his parents that he witnessed. And unfortunately, when he was really young, I couldn't find the age. Some sources said five, some said eight, so I'm not even going to pretend to know mm-hmm. what the age is. But when he was very young, his mother died of leukemia. Oh. He was placed with his aunt and his brothers, and it was while he was living with her, with his aunt and siblings, that his mother passed away. There were emotional and behavior problems for him. He described that he felt no real love or connection with anyone until he met Kim Edwards. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so this here was they like are. first love status for yes, both of them. They're both 14. They both had had some pretty serious childhood trauma mm-hmm. and loss. I, I, it's a different type of loss that Kim experienced when being removed from her mother, but it's still but a it's loss. it's still a loss, absolutely. And then there's Lucas who lost his mom. They both had these very strong feelings of them against the world mm-hmm. right from the beginning. They're the black sheep. They w- had found in each other this affection, this attention and love and connection that was missing from other areas in their perception in other areas of their life. So sometimes he was really, really friendly, and sometimes he was just straight up furious. And the two, those two emotions would happen like almost daily, like on the same day. Lots of fluctuation in moods and emotions. Yes, and he would get into physical fights with people at school almost daily as well because he's just going from being really super nice and friendly to something would trigger him, and now he's... Zero to Mm 5,000. He was often in what's called the behavior unit at school, Mm -hmm. and it kind of became this normal pattern for Kim to just go and visit him there. Oh. So, like, for us in America, I picture that being, like, detention. Yeah, like, like, just go. Mm -hmm. And she'd just be like, hey, hey, boo. (laughs) Right, yeah. Who'd you beat up this time? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so at, at lunch and stuff, she'd go and eat her lunch in there in the behavior unit with him. Wow. They always wanted to be together. The two were love-stricken with one another. A schoolmate of them, Adam Free, did a interview and said they spent all of their time together, and it was very obvious that they were really sexually active, mm-hmm. just based on they were constantly touching. They're constantly making out, like, in public, in front of, you know, just none of those boundaries. So it was like a really super intense... Yes. He said they were always together, cuddling, kissing, and they were very happy with each other. However, Liz was not happy about the relationship. She knew that Lucas was a, quote, troublemaker, Mm -hmm. and she did not want to see Kim make the same mistakes that she felt that she had made in her past as well, like getting wrapped up with a boy at a really young age. There were some rumors that, that Kim's father was a drug addict and that was domestically violent. I, I 
don't know. That was mentioned in a couple of the different sources and a couple of the different documentaries that I did watch. Here her mom is just trying to prevent her daughter from going down the same path and making the same mistakes. Plus she's 14. Yeah. She also knew that they were sexually active and she didn't want to encourage that. In February 2016, they started dating May 2015. This is February 2016. Liz tells Kim she cannot see Lucas anymore. Uh Mm Uh-oh. Right? I love how you're just like, immediately. Yeah, uh that's a quick, uh, dark turn, I feel like. It is. And she even, like, called the school and was getting the teachers to, they can't see each other at lunch. They are not to, I don't want them together. So she must have been seeing some changes in Kim too. Most definitely. Yes, most definitely. And remember, she was the the school lunch lady. Oh, yeah, she's a lunch lady. So, so she's they kind of aware. It, the dinner lady. it was a little bit different. And, I'm okay with you know, that. Me too. I, like, I it. like it. This is where they describe that the rage and anger really begins because when Kim had to stop coming and seeing him, it infuriated Lucas. Oh, I'm sure. Infuri- infuriated? Did I say that correctly? I think you did. I think you got it. It pissed Lucas off. I we'll mean, it sounds that. like everything does. Mm-hmm. But even more so, as you can imagine, now they become even more obsessed with one oh, another. Oh, yeah. Because now you the put intensity. That barrier yeah. in and. Yep. Now we want it each other. More. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam Free actually said at this point in time, there were a few times that Kim said she wishes her mom and dad, her mom was dead, but no one really thought anything of it. They just thought it was, you know, a just 14 year old teenager blown off talk. Steam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A 14 year old who's no longer allowed to see her boyfriend mm-hmm. blown off steam. On March 17th, 2016, Kim was assessed by some mental health professionals after expressing some suicidal thoughts. And then she made an attempt on her own life and spent two days in a hospital. Oh, okay. So, you know, on top of just being worried about Kim being with the wrong, having the wrong friends, you know, Mm -hmm. being in the wrong relationship, Mm -hmm. her mom knows that she is struggling with some mental health issues and needs treatment. So she, you know, she gets her that treatment. That's March 17th. Right after she attempts suicide and was released from the hospital, she changed her Facebook profile picture to a black and white photo of her not smiling, which when you see it, she doesn't look remarkably sad. I think you just have to know her to know. She actually kind of looks like she's like posing in one of those mysterious models. It's it's black and white. It's a really pretty photo of her. Mm -hmm. She's a pretty girl. You can see an online exchange between her mother and, and her where Liz is asking where her daughter's beautiful smile is. And Kim replies, it disappears. Well, then you can see her mom, like, later trying to joke, like, oh, maybe it's under your bed. Like, Uh you need to clean your room, you know, sort of thing. After she's released from the hospital, unfortunately, Lucas and Kim run away together. Oh. The police looked for them for three days. And, And here's where the bigger problem lies. Lucas Markham is so desperate for love and affection that Kim is giving him. He's willing to do anything that she wants to please her and to keep her. Mm -hmm. There is a danger when two dysfunctional humans get together at any age, but certainly at 14 when their brains have not fully developed. Oh, for sure. And you've got childhood trauma that they have not appropriately processed through. They were found with with a little bag of food. They'd been living in a tent, and they only made it as far as the neighboring town. Okay, so it was just so they like, set up the tent to like in the next neighborhood. Yes, They're like this the is, next, yes, this the next is far town. enough. Yeah, yeah. So now, obviously, they are really banned from one another. Like both like sets of parents are on band. board yeah. with this is not healthy. This is not good. You guys cannot see each other. And this is where Lucas really starts to create actual hate for Liz, mm. not only for knowing that Kim 
is having resentments for her. Mm -hmm. But now he is developing his own personal resentments because it is she kind of started keeping Kim away. So the two start to secretly meet. They had kind of like barricaded themselves in Lucas's room. They were sneaking into each other's houses at this point in time. And they were using his window as like the entrance and exit. But Kim needed to go back to her home for her birth control. And when she arrived, all her things from her room had been packed up and discarded by her mom. This was like a form of punishment for running away. Okay, so she, her mom, Kim's mom found out. Yeah, she's trying to set these, some boundaries. Mm -hmm. But what was most noticeable for Kim was that some of her items had been given to her little sister, Katie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we already have issues there. Yes. In April, Lucas actually got expelled from school for yet again another fight. So now they can't meet up secretly even at school. And they start sneaking out at night and they start meeting up at um, the local McDonald's. Mm-hmm. After school. Okay. On April 11th, 2016, this is where the conversation happens. Now, Lucas says, he said, I wish I could kill her. And Kim said, yeah. And then the two realize that they're both serious and not joking. And they begin to make a plot for the murder of Kim Edwards' mother, Liz, and then Katie. So Katie came into the picture, too, when they were plotting. Katie came into the picture, too. And I'll get to, I'll let you know why later. Okay. Lucas, at this point... Had after April 11th, had started to question that friend that was interviewed, Adam Free. He is 18 at this point in time, so he was able to be interviewed oh. um, with his name. Used. Okay, gotcha. And unfortunately for Adam, his father had recently been murdered by a group of teenagers trying to break into their house. Oh, wow, that's yeah. horrible. Yeah, so... Only one of these teens was found guilty of the murder and the others were found not guilty. So Adam, so Lucas was really asking Adam like all kinds of questions about what the police asked, how the jury was able to find one of the teens guilty but not the other one. Basically, he was trying to get firsthand knowledge of how the legal system would handle murder for a teenager. I don't think I need to to comment, but I will on how bizarre that is that you would ask a friend... That's been through this horrible trauma. Like, hey, how did this work? How did this all go down? Right. Why did the jury find one person guilty and not the other four? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did Adam ever comment on, like, how that felt for him? No. he No. Not that they included in the documentary anyway. I was just wondering because I'm hearing that, like, what? Why are you having that conversation that's so fresh for him? Uh And I, I don't even know. I think it was afterwards that he kind of put two and two together and okay. told that to the police like oh holy shit he was asking me okay like, nobody was taking them seriously when they were joking plotting uh, and yeah. asking yeah this wasn't you know which they're 14 i know it's so hard I, to say because you do hear kids say stuff when they're angry and absolutely to light a fire under every comment that's made out of anger you know right. we just and don't then do that at so 14 you want to still believe there's some kind of innocence still yes so young it is that is very young my goodness so at this point in time though they make an actual plan for how they will kill kim's family they planned everything right down to the roads that he would take to get to kim's house the plan was that he would pack some knives in a backpack and walk to kim's house there is like this canal that you can follow to get between their two houses. So uh-huh. it was, there was always talking about this um, canal that he would walk along. From there, he would climb the scaffolding up to Kim's window and knock three times. And then she would let him in through the bathroom window. So like she would know he's there because he knocked three times and then 
he'd go to the bathroom window and they'd let her in there, okay? Okay. Or let him in there. This entire ordeal from the time that he left his house to the time that he would walk along the canal and through the back of the estate that she lived in and climb up the scaffolding would take about 30 minutes. How Romeo and Juliet of them. Yeah, it does have a Romeo and Juliet feel. It really does. They were later compared to Bonnie and Clyde, but this feels more dramatic to me. Yeah, the separation with the families. Right, right, right. Totally Romeo and Juliet. So he does all this. This is actually Monday, April 11th. This all happened very fast, where he was asking Adam these questions, where they're plotting the death. Okay, they, so they not a lot started of that on a Sunday. Not a lot of pre-planning, but enough to execute their situation. Mm-hmm. So the planning had started on Sunday the 10th. Monday the 11th, they're asking Adam oh, these questions, okay. mm-hmm, plotting. And then that's the first night. Like, he comes a-knocking. Wow. Monday, April 11th. Okay. So, yeah, it's, I mean, the plan sounds like there were some details, but they did not waste any time. They didn't. They got right to work. He knocks three times. There's no answer. Kim was asleep. Oh. So he waits a while. He leaves. The two meet up at McDonald's the next day. She's like, yeah, I was asleep. Now, there was some special, later the defense tries to say that she wasn't really asleep. She just didn't want to go through with it. Mm. But the prosecution is like, mm, no. Not so I, much. I think that she's just so cold. That, and a, a psychologist actually points out, um, her name was Emma Kenny, and she was on the documentary as well. And she pointed out that most people would be very anxious, eager to get it over with, nervous. She was sleeping. But the fact that she was so casual about the entire thing that she could fall asleep shows how emotionally disconnected from the situation that she really was. For sure. I agree with that. It's so hard to wrap your brain around that. They've plotted this murder, and then they meet at McDonald's the next day. Like, oh, sorry, I fell asleep. Yep. And that's exactly what they did. So he asks, Lucas is asking him several times, are you sure that you want to go through with this? Are you sure? And she is, yes, yes. So now it's Tuesday the 12th. They do the same situation again. Mm -hmm. He walks down the canal. He climbs up the scaffolding. He knocks. No answer again. Oh, wow. Kim is asleep again. So same thing. They meet up the next day. She's like, sorry, I was sleeping. He's like, are you sure that you <laughs> are want you to absolute, do this? I shouldn't even laugh because it's I'm not funny. I'm really tired at this point in time because it's now, but I've been up really late walking yeah. and doing this two nights in a row now and you have been And you're dropping the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, yes, I absolutely want to do this. Let's go again tonight. It's so terrifying to me to know that this is going on and her family has no clue. I know. On Wednesday, April 13th, 2016, for the third night in a row, Lucas walks around the Coronation Canal. That was the name of the canal. Through the estate, climbs up the scaffolding. Once again, knocks three times on the window. And this time, Kim's awake. She waved. Lucas gave her a thumbs up. She then goes to the home's bathroom window and let Lucas in there. He puts his backpack down on the floor. Kim picks it up, opens it, takes out a black shirt, which had four kitchen knives rolled in it. She retrieved at least one of the kitchen knives that Lucas had brought with him, as was, you know, the plan. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I just said we know she retrieved one is because there were fingerprints on one of the knives. And Katie and Kim shared a room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Had Katie heard the knocking and then like yeah. been able to tell her mom? I'd, I don't know if he was knocking too softly that it, it didn't wake either one of them it's, up. Yeah, those it's past crazy two nights, that she didn't hear it too, yep. but Katie didn't hear it. But I just thought that I should point out that they actually shared a room. So the plan from here is that Lucas is going to go into Liz's room and he's going to stab her first in the throat with a knife to prevent her from screaming. Oh, That's God. what the plan is. Okay. 
And while Lucas is doing this, Kim is supposed to be doing the same thing to her sister. Mm -hmm. The reason that they gave for why Katie was targeted as well is not because there was any sort of deep hatred or because Katie was standing in the way of them being together like Liz was. It was simply because they knew Katie would call the police. Oh, my gosh. She was collateral damage to them. Wow. So they're like, well, she's got to go because you yep. know she'll call 911. Yep. Unbelievable. Yes. What really happens, though, is that Lucas leaves the bathroom. Kim stays in the bathroom instead of going to Katie's room. Lucas goes to Liz's room. And this is where I'll do a trigger warning because we'll get into some details of the actual murder now. He finds her asleep on her side, so he straddles her, stabs her in the throat. Oh, my gosh. And then proceeded to just keep stabbing. Ugh. He stabbed her eight times, twice in the neck, once in the shoulder. Her hands had some wounds on them that were indicative of defense, defense moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did struggle. There was, a str- there, there was a struggle, and then at that point, Lucas began smothering her with a pillow and stabbing her um, a few more times. So Kim's in the bathroom, and she hears the struggling. She hears her mother say, get off me. And then she can hear gurgling sounds. Mm-hmm. This is what she was reporting to the police. You can actually get online and watch the, the po- interview. The interview. Mm-hmm. So she goes into the bedroom, not because she cares about her mother. Her reasoning for going into the bedroom was to make sure that Lucas was okay. Oh, my god! And that is what she says to the police. I'm glad you cleared that up because I'm over here thinking... Was there any point that she was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? No. What, what are we doing? Right. There could have been several. Prosecution later points that out. We'll get into that in a minute. But Kim was immediately met with the smell of blood, which made the situation real for her. And then, and I'm going to do another trigger alert here, only because when I read this information, it stuck with me. And this is one of, you know, there's always just little pieces sometimes from certain cases that stick with you. And this is the one that really stuck with me. She reached her hand out. She was looking for Lucas's hand. Well, her mom was also reaching her hand out. Oh no. And she grabbed her mother's hand. And at that point to me, I feel like, I mean, her mom was still alive. Her mom had to have known that was her daughter's hand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and maybe she didn't, but I, I really think she would have. She would have known by now. She could have seen that this was Lucas. Kim recoiled. When she realized it was her mother's hand, she dropped it and, like, recoiled it away and oh, started. Wow. she started to have a panic attack. So after about three mi- minutes of holding, now Lucas says three minutes. Kim later says ten. I'm not sure, but. Three minutes could probably seem like ten when could. you're. Murdering someone. Yeah, but oh after after about a, a certain, you know, three to ten minutes of holding the pillow over her head, Liz was gone. Kim was originally going to be the one to kill Katie. But after the reality of the smell and the physical sensation of touching her mother hit her, she asked she do Lucas it. to do it. Mm-hmm. She couldn't do it. Kim later would tell the police, quote, I didn't think that I could take all her hopes and dreams away, end quote. And she didn't want to have her, to have to have Katie deal with, quote, all the emotions and stuff by growing up without a mother, end quote. That was her other reasoning for taking Katie's life. Oh, wow. Was, I wanted to spare her of the emotions. Of the pain of... She also told the police later that the reason that um, she killed her mom was because then her mom was free of worrying about her taking her own life. She won't have to worry about me, wake up every morning wondering if I'm alive or not. The reasonings are just... Yeah. Unbelievable. But she's trying to make it sound like she did Katie and Liz a favor by taking their lives. That really goes to show what she's got going on. Oh, absolutely. In her mind. Because 
she's convincing herself that she has saved them from some sort of suffering. There's so which many they questions. they often try to do, but... Mm-mm. I want to ask so many things, but I don't want to jump ahead. Yeah, so I'm we'll, trying to we'll like... probably get to them. But So Lucas goes into Katie's room that she shared with Kim. He repeated the same acts, stabbing Katie and then smothering her. So Katie never woke up during all of this. No. She was asleep. She stayed asleep the okay. whole time. He would later say that he really wasn't sure if he stabbed her or the mattress, but then put the pillow over her face. The forensic evidence did show that there was a struggle. So he it might be true that he didn't really know what he was stabbing at mm-hmm. but katie did fight for her life at least and he was stabbing her not the mattress oh. so i don't know if he was trying to just be like to downplay it yeah or... exactly exactly the viciousness of it the detective on this case later points out that although kim was not the one to hold the knife or use the pillow to kill her family she's just as guilty because she wanted these murders she planned them and she helped carry them out and the fact that she wasn't holding the knife is irrelevant and i couldn't agree more Absolutely. Without her involvement, these two beautiful humans would still be alive. Uh huh. Lucas would not have killed them if you said it hadn't he would do anything for, for mm-hmm. her. Exactly. So if she would have said, "I don't want this to happen," I would. I, I don't know. I mean, I would like to think he wouldn't have done it. Right. I, I don't. I know, agree. But I agree. It and sounds like it was all for her. It was. And at the end, like we'll talk about that when we get to the trial. After this is done, Kim was not in the room. She didn't follow Lucas into the bedroom. Oh, okay. With Katie. So after it, it is done, done, the conversation between the two is basically just Kim asking if Katie struggled and if and if it was done. Is she dead? I mean, at this point, I think that we can really start to understand what a lack of empathy really looks like and sounds like. It is very Without cold question. and dark. And that's what she was. So next, these two strip off all their clothes, put them in Liz's room, what? and then they have a bath. Wait, what? Yep. They have a bath. Oh, they it gets take weirder. a bath in the family home. Like, they do. Okay, it's done. Let's take a yes. It gets it gets. Let's even have a, a more little weird. tubby here. Yep. So they they have sex. Oh. Yep. They oh. take a bath. They have sex. They wash all the blood off because this part's going to wreck you. Trigger alert when you like animals. Uh, an animal doesn't <gasps> die. Stop. I was going to say you do no. not tell me an animal dies. An animal doesn't die, but there is a dog in the house, and so that's why they washed the blood off. They knew they needed to take a bath. That Lucas needed to take a bath. Because they didn't want the family dog to smell the blood. Oh, wow. And that just really pissed me off, too, for some reason. This poor dog is in this home. Yeah, yeah. the poor dog has feelings, too. Right. Yeah. Yep, oh, yep. That, is, that is so hard for me to grasp. So, Let's so go that have was, a bath, yep. and, and then we're going to have gonna sex, ha- too. We're going to have sex. That, that. No big deal. Well, then, after that, they go downstairs, eat tea cakes, have ice cream, and they binge watch all the Twilight movies and continue Hence to have the name, sex. I guess, right? That's where the name oh comes from. Oh, my gosh. From. The Twilight Killers. Because they watched all the movies. They moved a mattress. They I moved don't even Katie's, care if they were Team Jacob or Team Edward. Me neither. I don't even want to know. I also find it weird that her name is Kim Edwards. Oh, yeah. And then they're Edward Cullen. Yeah. 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 yeah but Heartless. They got, it is. No no remorse. But you guys, they, they took a mattress downstairs to the living room, and they lived in that house for another two days. Stop. <laughs> I, I, I'd you're like, I literally to, can't but stop. I can't <laughs> because people will wonder how the rest of the story goes. Good point. Yep. They live in that house for two days with Liz the, the, and Katie's bodies upstairs. And I'll point out, they have to use a, the bathroom that's upstairs. They just walk by their bedroom doors for two days. Oh, my God. 
using that bathroom. Just sleeping in the living room on a mattress, watching the Twilight, Twilight movies, having sex. Wow. And eating junk food. Tea cakes. Tea cakes. Have a tea cake. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't. Isn't that can't. hard to imagine? It is. I always wonder but with these that teenagers. That is how disconnected mm-hmm. they are from the crimes that they committed. How compartmentalized in their mind. We eliminated the problem. Yes. They were stopping us from being together. Now we're together. It always amazes me too in the undeveloped adolescent brain. There's no like thinking ahead. long term. Like how do you yeah. think this is going to pan out right. for you? Or what do you think the outcome of this is going to be? Nope. And I get that it's probably not possible for them to think that way. But for me, I'm like, oh, my God. Well, like they eliminated Katie because Katie would call the police. But what about the fact that Katie's not showing up for school and Liz isn't showing up for work? Right. right. Like, how you, did you think you this was going to pan out? Katie, but you literally would have to eliminate everyone else that you guys know if you want to really ride off into the sunset. But that wasn't their original plan. Their original plan was that they would commit these murders and then kill themselves with alcohol and pills that's what they wanted to do oh but kim later said that she didn't do that because she can't tolerate the smell of alcohol and she said quote most people who commit murders do try to commit suicide themselves so to me that's like her being like i think i know what's supposed to happen you know most people that commit murder try to commit suicide so that's what i'm supposed to do so that's what we're supposed to do but here's the thing Humans are designed to survive, and it takes someone being, as we know, in a very, very deep depressive state to be able to ignore the instinct for survival and take their own life. That's why these two didn't do it. Their instinct for survival prevented them from doing so because they were not in a serious state Mm -hmm. of depression Mm -hmm. like that. They were not having a psychotic break, which is another reason why people are able to, to complete suicide. The psychologist also pointed this out. I mean, on that Emma Kenny that I talked about earlier, uh-huh. she echoed some similar thoughts. And the thing is, is that these two spent the next two days with one another living in Kim's home with their victims upstairs. It goes to show how disassociated they were, both of them. 100%. From their crime. And just moved on with their seemingly normal actions of eating, movie watching, having sex, all of that. Um, One of the reporters on the case actually pointed out the parallels between the storyline of Edward Cullen and Bella Swan in the Twilight Murders. Oh, like there was some kind of... Yes, because think about it. Edward was forced to become a monster. He didn't want to become a monster on his own. Mm -hmm. He was forced to when he was made to be a vampire. And Bella fell in love with him anyway. And then she became one herself, and they lived against all odds happily ever after. To me, that just goes to show how young and naive these two really were. It was like they were living in their own Yeah, it was like some fantasy love story, Mm -hmm. for sure. Did they ever make reference to that or if not that I found gotcha. no the thing that they weren't thinking about is now Katie's not going to school Kim's not going to school Lucas's parents are wondering where, where he is well his aunt excuse me are wondering where the hell he is and Liz's employer is like oh my god she's not showing up for and that's not like her right so obviously there's there's lots of different outlets calling the police looking for them there mm-hmm. were people that went to the door there was no answer they could hear the dog barking But no, you know, the kids aren't coming to the door. So finally, the police are like, we've had enough reports Uh from these missing people. We can hear the dog and they use the fact that they can hear the dog as justification for breaking into a window and getting into the house. So this is now April 15th. They break in. When they enter the home, 
they see that the couple had put a mattress on the living room floor, and they're just chilling like a villain in the living room. Oh, so room. they're still hanging out? Yep. When the police yep. arrive. When they asked where Liz was, Lucas told the police, upstairs. When they then asked what happened, Lucas said, why don't you go and see? Oh, my God. This is where the psychologist, Emma Kenny, pointed out that this is him, like, not taking responsibility. Why don't you go yeah, and see? you go take not, a look, I'm going to show you what I've done. Mm-hmm. It's, you just, why don't you go see and you draw your own conclusions here about what happened. Wow. They were arrested immediately. When being arrested, Kim pointed to the box of pills looking at Lucas, and he simply said, fuck to life. Which, oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's Thank you, Shakespeare. Deep. It's really deep. Right. <laughs> Sorry. And I, I, well, I know. I just found that part like. Fuck to life. Fuck to life. Sure. It's almost man. poetic. Yeah. Almost. almost. What did I text you one time when I was like, fuck day? Oh, yes. And then we were like, well, we're just going to start gonna saying use that it. now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So did she like show him the pills? Like, should we? Yeah. Like, she's like looking at, like, pointing at him, like, like hello. Can we? It's yeah. Not like, too late. Right. Okay. Yeah. And he's. Fuck to life. life. Okay. There was also like a half-assed suicide note, basically, where Kim was saying, I, I, you know, fuck life. I hate life. That sort of thing. Uh Uh-huh. When the police are questioning them, Kim was asked about how she felt after the murders. And she literally said, quote, I was okay with it. The fact that it happened so quickly, it gave me peace of mind because it wasn't like torture or anything. End quote. I cannot. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. And I will say the police did such a nice job interviewing them with interviewing them with compassion for the fact that they were 14, mm-hmm. but how they did not just slap the shit out of these little punk assholes. Mm-hmm. I commend them. I'm going to have to see the interviews. I'm curious. She also told the police that she is happy her mom is dead because her mom doesn't have to worry about her being suicidal and wake up worrying about whether or not she's still alive. She also describes how she did not want Katie to live, like I said, without her mother. She was saving her from that grief, but also she knew she'd call the police. I must say it was more about that. Just the, the rationale. The um, police were very concerned about the way that these two told them everything like they were telling a story. Yeah. Like a fantasy. Like it not, didn't really happen. They were very matter of fact. They weren't ashamed at all. They weren't scared at all. They were just very cold. Like, yeah, this is what we did. This is what we, this is And this is why we did it. And I'm okay with it. And I don't feel bad at all about it. Wow. Mm -hmm. Kim truly made herself believe that she was doing it all, I think, you know, to save the family. But obviously, like, she's emotionally immature. But I also just think, had she not done something now, um, I don't know that she ever would have developed empathy Mm -hmm. and maturity. I think she would have been a violent perpetrator later in life. So if she hadn't done this, something else would have happened. I think so. In the I don't know if she would have carried it out or had somebody do it like she did this time with Lucas, but mm-hmm. I don't believe that Lucas would have killed Lucas would not have killed Katie and Liz. Without her without her persuasion. Um I think that he it obviously he's capable of violence and I'm sure later in life would have acted on his own violently. We already know. He was in fights. He had gotten, he'd been expelled from school for violent acts, for crying mm-hmm. out loud. But I don't think that Liz and Katie specifically would have lost their life had it not been for Kim's influence in Lucas's doing so. I think that these two together made such a horrible, perfect storm oh, for yeah. murder. Um, since this is a UK case, I will point out that Graham Greene, her boyfriend later, compares Kim Edwards to Myra Hindley. Wow. And was like, she 
was another Myra Hindley. Wow. And if you listen that to the Morris murders, insult. it is. If you haven't listened to the Morris murders case yet, we have that um, in our earlier episodes before our audio, audio quality was great. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you can learn about who they were, but they were some of the Myra, worst. Yep, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady were one, I think, the worst notorious murder couple in the UK. And that's what they were comparing these two to. And I can rightfully see why. I get it. Um, I don't know if together, if they hadn't got together, I don't, I believe that Liz and Katie would still be alive, but even them separately, they were going to perpetrate in a violent way, one way, one way or another. Mm-hmm, for they sure. had that cold lack of empathy. Just, yeah, the lack of empathy, it, it blows my mm-hmm. mind. So on April 17th, they were both charged with murder. The two never turned on one another. They both spoke very calmly and detailed to the police. On September 6th, Lucas and Kim both admitted to manslaughter, but they pled not guilty to murder. And Kim Edwards was actually on the grounds of diminished responsibility because she wasn't the one that actually committed the murders. Then we move up to Monday, October 10th. Markham, Lucas Markham, he's now 15, admitted to murder at the Nottingham Crown Court and remained in custody awaiting sentencing at the end of Kim's trial because this is right in the middle of Kim's trial. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the way the prosecution and the defense worked. Lucas Markman had admitted to the murders of both Elizabeth and Katie, but the prosecution wanted Kim for murder as well. Okay? Not manslaughter. No diminished responsibility because at the end of the day, if Kim had not encouraged Lucas, this family would still be alive. I agree, and I'm glad that they wanted to go full full force with her too. Yep, me too. During when Lucas is on trial, the police testified to how... In the interviews, he talked about how Liz Edwards had scratched his face, had scratched his back, had scratched his bum, and Ew. he had stamped her. I know, that poor woman. Yeah. And he had stabbed her to death. Um, like he scratched his butt before murdering? No, uh, she did. Like during the attempt, he's like, yeah, I had scratches on my back. I had scratches on my butt. I had scratches oh, on my like face. Oh, like from her fighting. From her. Okay, mm-hmm. I missed that. I thought you meant that he like had been it just like... Maybe dry no, skin. Oh, I no, don't I, know. I, like itching himself. Okay. Sorry. I did sorry. not make that clear enough. <laughs> Maybe I just supposed to keep going. I had eczema. I was scratching my ass before I like, murdered what this a poor hor- woman. Like what a horrible way for her to go. But No. He was he was up there so on the stand. So she was fighting. Yes. Okay. It, it gave the, the court all the information about. It sounds like he know. didn't really put up a fight about it. It's no. like, yeah, I did it. At and this first he tried to just do go for manslaughter. And then it was just like, no, here's this. I've told you all of this. All I'm right, going, I admit to I'm murder. Going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. The trial for Kim Edwards was a bit more complicated since she did not plead guilty for murder, but the prosecution wanted her tried for murder. So during the police investigation, they hear, uh, you know, the court heard everything about what Lucas had said. Lucas and Kim both testified that there were many occasions that Kim was asked by Lucas, do you want to go through with this? And she said yes. They both Mm -hmm. testified to that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they both, excuse me, they both told the police that many times, that their stories always aligned. Well, you don't see that too often. No, you don't. And so to the police and to the prosecution, it's like she had so many opportunities to tell Lucas, no, I don't want this. We've got to stop. She had and several she days didn't. after oversleeping. Right. And Lucas is just like, yeah, she wanted this. You know, I mean, he's not throwing her under the bus. He's just telling the truth. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, they did have a doctor testify that Kim had an adju- adjustment disorder that prevented her from forming a rational judgment and having the ability to plan. Okay. 
That's what the doctor testified to. And and they had a child psychologist testify that she was thinking under the influence of a recognized medical condition. So basically, like, this is the diminished responsibility. Mm-hmm. She has this disorder. She was unable to make any rational judge- judgment and could not plan. These are symptoms of the adjustment disorder. <laughs> so the prosecutor's like... She was thinking clearly enough to unwrap and unpack from that backpack and from that shirt four knives. Mm-hmm. When Lucas goes into Liz's room, she actually even deviated from the plan a little bit because she whispered to him, take your shoes off because his shoes were making noise on the floor. Oh, and wow. she didn't want her, you know, didn't want anybody being woken up. Just so that- there again, she's planning. Yes. This is, I want this to happen, yep. so take your shoes off yes. so it doesn't prevent us yep. from carrying this out. This is a girl who was thinking about what she had planned and what she was doing. For That's sure. what the prosecution argued, and absolutely. he, The pro- prosecutor even told the court that the girl, that Kim, was the one in control. And I believe it 100% because if she had said at any time, no, Lucas, I don't want you to kill them, he wouldn't have. Because he was seeking her approval yeah. and love and affection so much he wouldn't have done it if she didn't want it. He was the one that kind of was asking, like, are you sure yeah. you want to do this? Yeah. I don't know that, if that was him kind of doubting. That's what I wondered, too. Not I, defending him at all. No, but, but maybe he was hoping she'd say no. Right. Mm-hmm. That I almost kind of wondered that because he asked her so many times, like, are you yeah. really sure about this? Right. And I don't know what his after... The way he acted afterwards, if there was any empathy at all, I don't. It doesn't sound like it, but no, it doesn't sound like he would have done it if she didn't want. To. Correct. So. Yeah, and and that's really what was argued in court, and I think it's true. Not taking away from the fact that he still made his own conscious choice to go through with it. Yep. But she was steerheading this. She was in control. The doctor tried to rebut with what the prosecution was saying by saying that the girl had logical thoughts, but they weren't necessarily rational, saying the prosecution is focusing on one aspect of the disorder. And the doctor said she's unable to cope because of her medical condition and that her condition meant that she was not able to comprehend because of the stress that she was under. However, the prosecution goes back to Kim literally saying in the police interviews that she was excited about the prospect of murdering her mother. So he's like, yeah... She also told the police that she'd felt like murdering for quite a while and that her boyfriend and her had a grudge against Liz and Katie. I feel like the proof is in the pudding. That's just it. It's like you can say what you want, you know, on you can testify about what her medical condition might be like. Mm -hmm. But then here's the things that she actually said after the fact. And there was no effort from her or I mean, from either of them. To really make a lot of excuses, nope. it sounds like. It was just nope. kind of like, yeah, this and is they, what happened. And they're even like, yeah, and we knew that he, you know, we'd have to take a bath afterwards to get the blood off because we didn't want the dog to smell it. I mean, they're just very matter of fact about it. Kim even told the police when when Lucas said, I'd like to kill your mom, that she said he was joking, but then he realized that I wasn't joking. Then he said, well, I'm not joking either. And it escalated from there. I mean, they both kind of went back and forth with like who said it first, but they were, they both were just like, yeah. Uh-huh. One of us said it, then the other one realized. Yeah, it's still oh, consistent with like what? that conversation yeah. happened, and one of them and it, realized, and it just like, oh, you're not escalated joking. to planning. Yep. And Kim told the cops in her interview, he constantly asked me if I wanted to go through with it, and I was like, yes. And I asked him, and he said yes. So like, do you want to? Yeah. Do you? Do want you to? want to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when we're like, like, do you want to start a true crime podcast? You're like, yeah. Like, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Are you sure you I want do. to? Like, yeah. We're doing. Right. Okay, we're doing Here it. Here we are. Yep. That's so unbelievable. 
Absolutely. When you're talking about people's lives, you know, it's yes. just the, the, unbelievable. The, that casual of a conversation yeah. could lead oh, so to we, an actual gonna, okay. exe- execution yeah. that quickly. I mean, yeah, it was like a couple days. It's like, yeah, I got some knives. That fast, yeah. They were. They never thought. They Crazy. And she actually said, "We decided on Sunday, but I had felt like murdering for quite a while." Describing the killings to the police, she said, "He gave me his backpack. I opened it slowly because I didn't want to make too much noise." I took out a black T-shirt with four knives in it. There were two large knives with black handles, like average kitchen knives. He said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yes. But then in the end, I couldn't do it, so he did it. Did it all for her. Wow. I can't ever watch Twilight again. I know. Not that I ever did. I know. It it really did give you a different perspective. That option is taken off the table for me now. Yep. So the prosecution, during their arguments, tells the jury, just imagine the scene by the riverbank where they were having this discussion and you know Lucas saying do you want to go through with it do you really want to do this are you sure and he says it would never have happened if Kim had said no he was offering not to do it Mm -hmm. she could have stopped him she couldn't bring herself to do it so she got him to do it he showed her how she should do it like how she should hold the knife and everything and and he she couldn't do it yeah picturing this all playing out it's like and after, after the, during the police interview, she they were like, how do you feel? And she says, a bit sad. Like, it was a bit sad. So on October 11th, 2016, it took a jury of seven men and five women two hours and 30 minutes to find her guilty on I was both say, charges. would not take long. Yep. It was obviously unanimous. Full murder? Yep. For murder. There was no manslaughter with diminished responsibility. I'm happy to hear that. It was murder. In his closing speech, the prosecutor, Peter Joyce, said, Brutality and contempt oozes from every pore of this girl, and she held the lives of her alleged victims as cheaply as she would a hamster or a goldfish. He told the jury, You know from the police interview just how determined these two children were to take two lives. You know just how callous they were, just how cold they were. So they are Britain's youngest double murderers. Like couple murder. Wow. The local school did bring in counselors because they had, lo- I mean, the school and community knew Liz really well. Oh, for Katie sure. Katie was very popular. But they also lost Lucas in, in the, the image of who Lucas and Kim were mm-hmm. to them as well. Initially, Kim and Lucas's names were kept secret under a gag order issued by a judge because of their young ages. But later that order was lifted because they were seen as such a depraved danger to society that the judge felt that society needed to be aware of what these two were capable of. I don't disagree with that. They were both, they got sentenced 20 years to life, which later was reduced to 17 years to life due to their young ages. They are due for parole in 2033. Wow. Lucas will be 32 and Kim will be 33. Yeah. I think they will reunite someday. I, they're not allowed to talk with Ever one again. another now while they're in prison. But I don't know. The boyfriend that I mentioned earlier, Graham Greene, that compared Kim Edwards to Myra Henley, said she should never be let out. I agree and with that. They're capable of brutally murdering people and not feeling bad about it at all. That's just it. Yes. And... Then let's throw think, 20 to 30 years in prison. I think the 17 to life will very much determine be determined upon how they behave in prison. Yeah. The Here's what where lies the biggest problem in that I think the parole board will have problems is still to this day they've shown no remorse. Yeah. Yeah. It is so, it's always going to be something that I struggle with. It's that debate of do people change 
do I believe people can change? I do. Yeah. But when the when the potential is there to commit murder, does that ever go away? Right. Does that ever change? Right. So the and, thought of them being out. And in this case, you've got two 14-year-olds who brains, whose brains were not fully developed. Even their perception of reality and fantasy were not fully developed yet. You know, you can live in a very grandiose state in that during those ages. And how interesting their perspective will be, perhaps, as an adult, as their brain develops and they realize the permanence of what they've yeah. done and the, the permanence of death. And I just wonder, and if, if still as an adult they show no remorse, then that's, there you've got your answer yes. to what they're capable of outside of prison. What a, what a case. Right? What a case. Sorry for ruining ice cream, tea cakes, and Twilight movies <laughs> for everyone, but there it is. Oh Are you ready goodness. for a brain bath? I am so ready. This one, I, it just kind of made me chuckle because I can I can see it. All right, this comes to us from the Huffington Post. Mm, fancy. I, just, I love that it's got like Huffington. Yes, the Huffington. Huffington, you're huffing too loudly. <laughs> Keep quiet, which actually is what this is called, worshiping too loudly. Mm. Pastor Johnny Clark of Columbia, South Carolina, was a repeat offender for God. Oh, Last, Watch it now. Yep. Last month, he was found guilty of unlawful sound amplification and sentenced to two weeks in jail for a regular and rambunctious Pentecostal worship service that had brought police to his church more than 50 times. Wow. Hallelujah. This man, this man loves him some he Jesus. Does. Listen, I know that before when we had sound problems, I too was guilty of rambunctious amplification yes okay i talk too loudly into the too sensitive microphone maybe that's what his problem was maybe it was neighbors had complained repeatedly that instruments played during the service were disruptive and that clark was still using microphones and drums despite a previous injunction against them chuck was or clark not chuck sorry clark was released later in september you know what I love me some Clark. I And if a man can't get excited about God. Thank you. What are we supposed to, if you cannot uh, praise Jesus yeah. on the highest. I, I'm done with life if you can't. on. Let him say <laughs> his name my favorite one. into the microphone. Picture like all these instruments yes. and just like. And him and his hands above oh, yeah. his head just say, can I get an yes. amen? Yes. Get it, Clark. Yes. And he didn't care. He did no. not care. No, he went to jail. And you know what? You know, when he gets to those pearly gates, God's going to give him a big old well high five. Well done, sir. Yep. Those well two done. weeks in jail were worth it to say his name. He's spreading the word of God through the microphones. I bet you didn't. he didn't even stop in jail either. Oh, like, no. Going Tell strong. me he was singing the hymnals. The praise of the Lord. The yes, whole time. For sure. I, lo- I love this brain bath. Yeah. That one, grateful I thought for that, it. that one was, was a good one. That's so a, Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Well, we hope that you guys keep it curious. We hope you keep listening. Please follow us on our social medias and chat with us there. You can email us case suggestions or any other types of suggestions too at crimecurious at yahoo.com. We're there. Um, Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.